I say to Joy, at some point in your adult life, you're going to end up on a therapist couch blaming me for something. So if the worst you can find is that I kept making you clean your room, I'm going to count that as a win. <laughs> exactly. Nice. I like, I'm going to have to borrow that. Yeah, that's yeah, a good that's line. There have been worse things. That's the only thing I'll mention on here. Right. <laughs> I, I like how you're like, if someday she ends up in a therapist's office, whereas like my kids are already in therapy. So. Oh. Welcome to episode 83 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brew pint, a fine wine, a cup of tea, or whatever happens to be in your glass. You can catch new episodes weekly as the Reverends Shannon Meacham, Ogan Holder, and yours truly, Brian Burkoff, address and engage what's happening through a theological lens, usually with a good brew in hand. Today's episode is brought to you by the New Thought Channel, a proud sponsor of Pub Theology Live. Watch New Thought, spiritual but not religious, empowering a positive television anytime. I didn't read that right. Empowering and positive television anytime, anywhere. Catch original programs, talks, including our very own Reverend Ogan Holder, movies and more online, on your TV, on your phone, tablet, or iPad. Visit NewThoughtChannel.com to learn more and subscribe. Change the channel, change your life. I don't think you read that wrong at all. They are empowering a positive television. So They are. They are. I I don't have my glasses. Anybody who right. watches this normally knows that when I read the, yeah. the sponsor. It was, it was incorrect, but not wrong. But not wrong. Exactly. <laughs> we are also brought to you by Link Wine Club, W-I-N-C. Uh, Wink features superbly crafted wines delivered right to your door. Get started at trywink.com slash ptlive for $20 off your first order and other savings. And you could even try a few bottles on us. If you call, leave us a voicemail, 980-PT-LIVE-0. That's 980-785-4830. Shoot us an email, info at publicology.com. Some questions to discuss, common previous discussions, anything you want to bring up. And we... And Wink will send you three bottles to try. You just pay some tax and ship in. You'll pick one winner per month. Um, you know what? I re- realized last month, was it February or January, that we had that uh, question from Tony about about having church when you don't believe in God or something like that. I yeah. think that might have been the one question. So I will hit him up and see if he wants to uh, um, have some free wine on us. You can also join our conversation on Twitter or Facebook using hashtag PTLive. Well, today we resurrect the old nature versus nurture debate. How much of our behavior and personality is inherited or nature? And how much is learned from our environment around us or nurture? And along those lines, what impact do parents really have on their children and is it finally time to retire the doctrine of original sin or total depravity? Or are those still as needed as ever? I think we'll have multiple opinions, actually. So this is going to be fun. Uh, welcome, guys. Uh, tell us what you're drinking, Shannon, and then Ogan. Um, fire away. I 
am drinking. We're staying local again today. Um, Flying Dog Breweries, um, a Stedman Abbey Ale. Um, nice. Which is a nice, strong, but delicious beer. Mm. All right. Um, I am actually going with um, a sponsor product from Wink Wine Club. This is the Copycat Tempranillo. And I was not familiar with a Tempranillo brand of wine, but it is a Spanish grape. Um, and this one comes from a California brewery, Copycat Wines. And um, it is a, it is fruit flavors of blueberry, strawberry, and a little spice to create a smooth and supple wine. So wine in it today. Thank you, Wink. Ooh. Does it live up to its description? I'm a, I'm about to, I'm about to tell you. To, all I, was, right. I was letting it breathe while we oh, were. You know. I got you. I, got you. I wasn't yeah. sure if you like had it last night with dinner or something. No, no. Ooh, that is nice. That is nice. I like yeah. that. Okay. And I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor. I actually like that. <laughs> he likes that. Excellent. I like that. Well, it is uh, snowing here in Michigan, and so I am drinking uh, a full circle organic Earl Grey tea in my new. Maize and blue Michigan mug. So just staying warm here in the mitten state. Okay, can you hold that mug up again? So before I realized that that was like supposed to be Michigan, my eyes, my eyes was like, okay, that looks like a turtle trying to catch a deer that's a rabbit jumping over it. Oh, I could see that. For those that are just listening, because um, I was listening, The Daily Show now does like a listener's podcast of yeah. The Daily Show. And Derek and I were listening, we were in the car and we were listening to it. And he kept saying, I mean, look, I mean, look. And we were like, we can't, this is the podcast. An audio. So for those of you who are just listening, uh, Brian has a blue mug with very yellow, uh, just the outline of Michigan, right? Both yeah. the mitten part and the UP and... And it very much does look like a turtle trying to catch a flying rabbit. <laughs> it 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 kind of it kind of does. Just the turtle head. There you go. Check out check out our YouTube video stream. Right. <laughs> check us way. out on the YouTubes or on the New Thought channel for visual effects. For visual effects. For visual effects. There you go. Oh, that's funny. You live in a weird shaped state, dude. That's all I gotta say. Hey, Maryland's that way too. I can't like yeah. every time you go to you know like those cute things where you're like, I'm gonna order a, a cutting board in the shape of my state. I'm like, that would do nothing for me. <laughs> like, I'd be like chopping this little corner over here that half Delaware owns and half Virginia takes up, and that is true. West Virginia thing out of the middle. And... Yeah. See, the good part about Michigan is, yeah, it's kind of kind of weird when you have the actual outline but it can roughly be a mitten or a hand and that's easy enough to turn into fun things and we just forget about the up because they're just over the bridge and forgotten okay then. sorry any listeners who are over the bridge yeah yeah alienate the few listeners we have it's way to go man beautiful amazing part of the country which i've never been to and would love to but it is beautiful i go think trip. you know yeah. it's pretty barren though i mean you really feel like you are up north uh, it's pretty cool That's you need to go in summer just go in summer where there's green yeah. it is an that is the time to go for sure so we're talking a little bit about nature versus nurture and parenting today have you ever said the phrase oh my god i'm turning into my parents and if you have what what sort of was the thing that you saw in yourself that you remembered your parents doing 
I think I think the first easy instance of that is the do this because I'm telling you to. You know. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the but why? You, because I said so. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. I said so. When you try to re you know, we're trying to break the cycle, so I'm trying reasoning and logic and all then funny you know what? Just just because I say so, just do it. I mean you're a parent, so just do the thing and then it's like, Oh my god, I'm I'm my mother. <laughs> So I try very, very hard to, um, or did or whatever, you know, I see this more in my sister, right? Like my sister will do something and I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Flashback. Wow. (laughs) But uh, I was, this was years ago when um, it was my stepfather and he was actually complaining about my mother and how she always, like every time she said something to you or whatever, she would be like, I know. I know, like that was her phrase that she said all the time. And, you know, he just, um, he was talking about this and he's like, it just drives me crazy. And she doesn't always know. And I was like, I know. And I was like, oh, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Woo, caught in the act. And I was like, I say that all the time. And and for me, it's not so much me noticing. It's my tiny 10-year-old mirror that walks around with me and is... I'm like, why, why does my mother used to do that? Or my mother does that. And I'm going, she did not learn that from my mother. She learned that from me. Like she, so she goes around every time I I say something, I'm like, Oh, Maggie, don't touch a hot stove. Oh, I know. Like she, like the same, the same phrase. And I'm like, damn it. But I do. I, it's funny that you came up with this. I'll tell one more kid thing. Um, Maybe this is more like the nature argument for nature. Right. But, um last night I was in our upstairs like after dinner there's no TV up there and the kids were downstairs in the basement playing and my daughter is laughing like belly laughing hysterically and you could have recorded it and it could have been my former mother-in-law and that was the craziest thing I was just like like I almost like st- I felt cold right like I stopped <laughs> in my tracks and I was like wow Oh my God, that's crazy. I mean, I guess that's not a like mannerism or something, but it was weird. I have, weird. I have a lot of questions here. A lot of, a lot of stuff to unpack, but, wow. but I'm just going to limit it to two so we can then hear Brian's thing. One, I love how you threw your sister under the bus. Uh, oh, does this, she would does, throw herself there. <laughs> but does this mean that you're in denial about your own inherited stuff? Oh, absolutely. Uh, okay. 100%. All right, good. That's good to know. Self-awareness yeah. is the beginning of the journey towards wholeness. Um, second of all, you said when you heard your daughter's laugh and reminded you of your ex-mother-in-law and you said yes. it was cold. I've, I like, I went cold, right? Like it was eerie. Did, 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 eerie because of the similarity or eerie because your ex-mother-in-law used to frighten you like we're white white cold eeriness um because why not, why not warm nostalgia <laughs> no that uh um no. and that's all you gotta say <laughs> i think that covers well and it was an interesting moment because you know she's she only even though she's only 10 like she's growing into her more she's getting closer and closer to her more adultness, yeah. right? And yeah. so it's not kid, like it's not baby laugh anymore, or toddler laugh anymore. And, right. and so it, it, was, it was honestly a moment where I went through my head and I said, someday, 
you know, this is really going to be this warming, joyful laugh because it's your daughter's laugh. But right now, all I can think about is my former mother-in-law. Right now, it gives me the Right chill. now, I, want, I wanted to yell at her and be like, stop <laughs> it, stop laughing. But oh, that really would have been my mother, and I refused to do that. That's funny. So, Brian, what about you? <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, a few weeks back, we talked about my need to like blame when there's something that goes wrong and it's usually not a big thing. It's like a small thing. So I I think that's something I got from my parents, though. I'm trying to cue up memories of that. And I don't know that I think I'd block them all out because they were painful, but now I just exhibit it. So, right. So if you're listening, mom and dad, it could be, it could be, this is all me, but I think it came from somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> there there you go well you know it's it's interesting the difference between this this um you know i think this also goes into the nature nurture thing we're talking about it's really fascinating when you when we were as kids we believe that this is the message that they're sending and it really isn't and we take it on i mean i see that i've seen that since i've become a parent where my daughter will say to me, you know, I felt this way when you said this and it made me think you wanted this. And I was like, how did you get that from what I said? Mm -hmm. And then she'd tell me how she got there. I was like, oh, yeah, I can see that now. (laughs) I can see why you went there. So sometimes we we pick up messages and infer, is it infer or imply? We infer messages that are not really being sent. So it's quite possible you may have... Um, you know, in, uh, uh, based on what your parents were saying, thinking they're, they're blame seekers or trying to pin it on somebody when for them it's really about maybe we're, we were just trying to find out what happened mm-hmm. um, and who did what, not necessarily in a negative blame way, but just, just to have the information. I don't know. I don't know your parents, but, but yeah, it's, it's weird to observe that. Um, I, I certainly... Um... You know, this is again self like I'm I'm very, very self-aware and but at the same time I I can get frustrated very quickly and you know yell the way my mother did specifically or I I, I my father I I didn't see him very much, so I don't know. Um my stepmom actually used to make a comment that um I ate eggs the way that my father did which I always thought was really strange. So we, we, you know, and I, um, so there's this thing in Runaway Bride, if you've ever seen that movie. Wait, wait, no, back up, back yeah. up. How do you eat eggs? Is it some way weird? Well, so I didn't think it was, so here, like my dad and I responded in the same way, right? So we eat eggs that are like over easy, right? So it's, you cook right. the egg and then you just flip it over real quick at the end. Cause I don't like the white, like I don't like the white part to be, um, I like the membrane to be cooked, right? Okay. But I still want my egg to be, the yolk to be soft. Okay. Whatever. All right. So then I eat, I, I cut a little hole in the top of the egg, the yolk, and then I like kind of spread out the, the yellow part on the, the white part because like, and then I eat the yolk and then I eat from the outside in because the yolk is the best part. And that's like exactly the way my dad eats eggs <laughs> have you have you told this to your therapist no i mean <laughs> and so here's the thing i mean i saw my dad 
um, you know, maybe twice a month, right? Mm-hmm. And I, so how many of those twice a month do you eat eggs together? You know, that kind of thing. But our, our argument was the same that like, well, the yolk's the best part. So I want to eat that part last. And I think that's a very normal kind of thing to do. But she saw it as this like, wow, that's really, she observed it as something parents and children do like that I did as a child of him, the way that he did it. I'm I'm gonna go with that too because this normal <laughs> this normal this normalcy declaration of leaving the yolk to last. Uh, no, don't, you don't think so. No, uh, no. Well, let's take an informal poll, Brian. Well, it's you, the middle, so you would anyway. Brian, what do you do? Brian, Brian, do you you do you eat from the outside in and leave your yolk to last? No, I just take it as it comes. You know, that's all I'm saying. I, oh, I think, that's so all right. weird. Two out of three. <laughs> I don't eat around the, the yellow and then get to it last. No, I don't do that. It's, it's not an invasion well, so now, of an island. <laughs> so now what I do is I like, I like cut it up so that every bite has a piece of yolk. Has yolk. Yeah. I see what's happening here. <laughs> do you? Anyway. Can you explain it to me? Because I'm like. <laughs> no, I get it. That the. The yolk is the densest. It's got some flavor and, you know, it, it's more substantive. So, yeah, you want a little bit of that. If it's just the white, it feels a little flimsy and bland. And I get it. It doesn't taste as good. I get I'm it. Just, I'm just cutting a piece and whatever ends up on a fork. Ends up on That's a fork. why you scramble your eggs and then the yolk is in everything. No, it's much better. Anyway, whatever. All right. So, anyway. Anyways. Anyways. Went, went down that rabbit hole. Yeah. All right. There we wow. go. Wow. So, there's how I like my eggs. If anybody ever cooks me eggs, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> when we come for breakfast at Shannon, the yolks on her. Ah. Okay. Nope. Stop that. Number two, <laughs> how much of our behavior is inherited or personality? Um, and those two aren't the same. Mm-hmm. So let's keep that in mind. How much of it is, you know, in our genes and then how much of it do we sort of absorb by observing, you know? So let's say if we have one set of parents, uh, and we learn from our environment, does that shape us significantly so than if we had the same genetic makeup, but we had two completely different parents, and let's say, or one parent or three parents, you know, whatever, in a, in a totally different town or even country, you know, what effect does all that have? I think it's, it's both and to varying degrees. Um, I mean, there are anecdotal stories of, of people who are, you know, uh, adopted, and mm-hmm. they have a certain personality trait adopted from like being an infant or even younger. And then, you know, they end up meeting their birth parents. And then it's like, ooh, you could see where the personality trait comes from. Right. Then you have, you know, people who were born and raised by, you know, set of parents and nothing like the parents. Um, so I, I think it's a combination of both, but there's no one formula like my, you know, I look at my daughter and it's very clear. She inherited the emotional ferocity of her mother and my mother. (laughs) It's pretty clear. Um, now that could be, that could be from observing them, but at the same point in time, you know, it, it, she also has a lot of my laid backness as well. So it's, it's, Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's a, there's a, there's a strict line between uh, those two is is a mishmash. Sounds like a helpful balance. Your, uh, your chill versus the, uh, the fire. 
Well, yes, except except when do you use what? <laughs> right. Like, right. You know, like last night we were having a a a a, a discussion and it would have been a better time for chill, but <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> Ooh, so I damn. stayed chill while her fire blazed. <laughs> I think it is both and. And I think there's a really, I think anybody would have a hard time arguing for absolute one or the other. Um, I think it's harder when you don't know. So like someone who is adopted or doesn't know, you know, someone who doesn't like, where do I get this? So, right. I, you know, every time we have this, or I have this discussion, I think about, um, I had to look it up. So Sidney Poitier wrote a, an autobiography called The Measure of a Man. And um, I highly recommend listening to it in audiobook because he, he reads it. Mm. <laughs> and it's just beautiful. And um, I was listening to it um, years and years ago, and he talks about how he he comes from these very hard workers, right? And they're the opposite of artistic. They're the opposite, like they just they're these like farmers and goat herders and whatever else. And and he's he's talking about how somewhere deep down in his genealogy must have been someone who was able to act or was, was interested in art and arts in general. And I think that's such a beautiful idea, right? That, that these things just get dormant and then all of a sudden root up and spring up. Right. Um, and I look at, um, my ex-husband's family and they're extremely artistic and his grandfather who he died a couple years ago was, he was an engineer and as he was raising his three kids and they're like a, a musician and an artist and a theater kid. And he's going, where did these kids come from? Like, I'm an engineer. And then he looked around the rest of his family and he's like, oh, wait, I'm the strange one. Right. right. Like, right. Everybody else in his family was really artistic and he just never was. He was very like he he liked numbers and math and and um, predictability and things that, you know, if you do this, then it does that. And. And I, I think that it's not that he's completely an anomaly, right? Like he was raised by very artistic and beautiful parents, but like somewhere deep down, our gene pool just kind of rises up within us. And I think that's a really beautiful, powerful thing. But the way we're raised certainly has a huge effect on us and on how we are in the world and who we are and how we treat other people and how we make decisions and and how um, much money we spend on therapy later. Yes. Mm. I mean, the number of conversations that I have had of like, you know, really the first 10 to 15 years of your life, how you basically spend, you know, the rest of your life dealing with what happened in those years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a little ridiculous. Mm. I, I remember my mom saying one time, I don't know why you complain about the way I raised you. You turned out just fine. And I right. <laughs> That's because I spent a lot of money on therapy. <laughs> my aunt I mean. said that to me one time. And actually, she said it differently. She said, you know, Shannon, your parents did a really good job. And I said, you know, I love you, but I did a really good job. Yeah. Like, I spent a lot of time in therapy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And not because they're complete failures as parents, but like, we can't look at the success of an adult and say, wow, their parents must have had their shit together. Right. 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 That's not, that's not always true. Sometimes it is. And sometimes the parents, I have a family who I love and adore and I'm very close with. 
and their kids can't have a long-term relationship to save their life. But because they came from this like perfect love story, you know, marriage kind of, their parents are just the like end. Jack and Rebecca. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like this is us parents. Right. 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 And we think, mm. Oh, well then of course they're going to grow these successful relational children. Right. And they're going to have successful relationships and successful children because look at their marriage. And like, sometimes it's the opposite, right? Like sometimes right. they're like, well, I can't, I'm not finding that because it, it really is a fairy tale to them. You know, it's, there's I, no perfect formula. <laughs> I say to Joy, at some point in your adult life, you're going to end up on a therapist coach blaming me for something. So if the worst you can find is that I kept making you clean your room, I'm going to count that as a win. <laughs> exactly. Nice. I like, I'm going to have to borrow that. Yeah, yeah that's a good that's line. There have been worse things. That's the only thing I'll mention on here. Right. <laughs> I, I like how you're like, if someday she ends up in a therapist's office, whereas like my kids are already in therapy. So. Oh. Yeah. Well, she's she's had a few rounds with a therapist already, but I mean, this the 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 few rounds she's had with therapy already was me making her go. Oh, right. Yes. Because her mom died, and she's like, "I don't need to go to therapy. I don't need to go to therapy." I was like, "The more you keep saying that, the more you're gonna make me send you." <laughs> the more you're gonna go. <laughs> the more you're gonna go. And she went, and it was good. And yes. I was like, "There's gonna be a point where you're gonna choose to do this." So yes. there you go. Gonna happen. And, and I'm avoiding therapy, but Tuesdays can't come fast enough. <laughs> you know, Brian, you've joked about that just enough to make me worry about you. I'm just going to name that around. <laughs> just enough. Just, just enough. That's right. I forget. You're, you're still relatively new to this program. <laughs> <laughs> I've been worried about it for a while. I, no. I, it's mentioned about every other episode. Oh, man. <laughs> and again, I think you mean it as a joke, but I think you should look at that. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure I should. I'm sure I should. All joke is based in some truth somewhere. So there are, so I think you guys are right that you can't tease these things apart, right? Because we don't really have examples of someone who is sort of raised and there's no such thing as a neutral environment. You have, you are shaped by whatever your environment is, whether that's an orphanage, your parents at birth, adoptive parents raised by wolves, you have an environment that's shaping you. And at the same time, we also have genetic materials that we inherit from our biological forebears. And so we don't have an example of someone who just yet, who appears in a Petri dish and doesn't have, you know, any of that history. So they definitely are related. And so I think that maybe part of the question is, um, how much influence can nurture really have and how hardwire is our behavior and personality? And, you know, what, for those of us who are parents, what difference can we really make for our children? Or are they just going to turn out how they turn out anyway? So I, I don't think there's a way. So there's a part of us. Um, I think there is a scientific term for it, but it's something like the essence of us, right? That is an inerrant, whether it's biological or, you know, what, whatever term you want to put on it in terms of our, our true self, our personality. My children, from the moments that like they were a few months old, I could tell one was very introverted and one was extroverted. And I could tell by the way we went to a party or church and they got passed around and whether or not they could sleep when they got home. Mm -hmm. And that has been true po like ever since. 
It's not something I put on them. It's not something I asked them to be or taught them how to be. It's something they were, right? Like You just um, whispered in their ear every night, why are you so introverted? Exactly. Just like suggested. Maggie, I'm my teasing. oldest. No, well, like in utero, I was like, we had lots of conversations about sleep in utero. She and I did. I was like, mommy really likes her sleep. And and, I love that. This is something that you're going to give to her because she is giving you life. (laughs) Um, Love it. And she totally did. Conditioning is what we call that. Well, yes, but she's also a people pleaser. So, like, did I do that, or was that part of her? Right. So, like, all these studies have been done about pregnancy and anxiety. Right. Like, if you're really stressed and anxious, is as a, a pregnant mother, then children have issues with like their anxious children. Um, and like, how much of that do you put on yourself? How right. much do you let that go? You know, all of those kind of things. So where it comes from, I have no idea. Right. And, and can the Enneagram be inherited or is that, you know, like a personality trait that's genetic or do you just see those behaviors modeled and you maybe, I don't know. So when it comes to personality things like the Enneagram, what the Enneagram basically says is um, you, you, you gravitate to the personality trait or the strongest um, style of the Enneagram, because that's how you learn to cope with the world Um, and how you learn to cope with the world at that young tender age is more often than not. And because of the family situation you're in. So I am a, I'm a nine. I'm a, I'm a, peacemaker okay when you look at my upbringing uh, my mother was a very strong personality a force of will a very uh, short-tempered loud um, mostly my wear the highway kind of person Um, so for me it was let me just do what she says let me be quiet in order to make it peaceful so I learned, that's how I learned to, to deal with that. Let me find the ways that will make her happy so that she will calm down and stop yelling at me. So mm. I learned how to be a peacemaker, which, you know, like all Enneagram cells has both like a positive and negative side. Right. So part of the negative side was I also learned to not share what I really wanted because ultimately it didn't matter because my mom wanted to have it a certain way. Um, so I learned to squelch my own voice and desires, which, yes, in a way helps keep, you know, uh, the boat from being rocked. But then what happens is that because I don't get my needs met, eventually right. I'm going to blow up right. and explode one day. And look at that. I just became my mother with the temper <laughs> and the thing. So, you know, in, in, in an effort to avoid that situation, I became that situation so you know shock shocker to the people around me who's like he's the easygoing caribbean lake back guy and all of a sudden i blow my top and they're like don't know what to do with that right i feel like this is what happens in therapy what you're sharing right now oh exactly it's exactly what happened <laughs> if only therapy. you knew brian <laughs> i just yeah it's amazing it's exactly what happened in therapy that's why i can talk about it now recognize it and you know being, oh. being in this job as a minister like my my innate desire to avoid conflict is not an asset like as a uh, minister there are times where you know you got to step in the middle of things you got to make the tough decisions and you have to not be a people pleaser you have you know and you can't avoid the discomfort so 
thanks to lots of therapy and the Enneagram, I've learned, oh, this is a thing about me. I recognize the feelings in my body when there's conflict and I want to like withdraw into my shell and hide. And I go, right. oh, no way. I got a toolbox now that I can go to, to, to do a positive side of peacemaking, which is like, what are the two sides of this argument here? Mm-hmm. Where's the middle ground? Let me articulate that in a nice, peaceful, grounded way. So, you know, here's the therapy. So I do think I, I do think it's interesting, Brian. You gave an example in the discussion questions that went out to the to the groups about twins, right? Yes. Even if they're separated at birth, they may still do very very similar things or have very similar traits. So if they're yeah. separated, raised by different parents, raised in different situations, et cetera, et cetera. And and it's it's interesting because my sister, so my sister is eighteen months. My biological sister. I also have two step siblings. Um, is she's 18 months older than I am. And she will often say we were raised in two different households when we were raised under the same roof in the same time, you know, with the same people and all of that. And what she's trying to get at is the way that we responded to this life, like the life that we were dealt, which for us, like for us, just happened to because of the way it, it was it, it was difficult it was a difficult household um some people we used to call it the little house of horrors and it's not far off wow. <laughs> but the way okay, we, that just got dark <laughs> the way we responded the way we responded in resiliency was very different right so i responded through escaping as much as i could um, I made friends with neighbors who had like three kids and she, you know, I was in like middle school and high school and, and I spent all my time at their house, house helping out this mom. Right. And she buried herself into schoolwork and both of it was kind of avoidance, but it was just the, our resiliency came out in very, very different ways. And, and although, um, all four children of us very predictably are in helping professions, um, and yet we're in very different ways of helping professions. Um, and it's just really fascinating to kind of see how our personalities came out in, you know, the house of fun mirrors, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Okay, then. <laughs> happy, happy fun house. Exactly. Um, but no, I mean, it, I think that's what's so interesting is that although we, again, but I, also as a parent, I will say, I respond to my children very differently because of their personalities. Mm, right. And because of my personality, right? right. Um, my daughter is a lot like me and rubs me the wrong way because of it. And I try really hard to not let that get in my way um, with her. Do you feel like there's more awareness these days to things like personality differences among children and so interacting with them in a different way? Uh, Or is it just that when I was growing up, there may well have been that insight among my parents or other parents. I just was on the other side of it. So it all didn't really filter into me. And now that I'm a parent, it's apparent that my kids are all different and that they need different things. I think I think it's a more it's a product of of this time that we're living in when we are hyper connected, we've got social media, we've got data, we've got 
uh, all this kind of stuff and people are asking the deeper questions and everybody's blogging about it. And we, you know, right. it's, it's, I think there's more stuff out, out there that's inviting us to take a deeper look at ourselves than there was say when, you know, my parents were first having kids and when they're, I mean, my grandparents forget about it. No one's talking about parenting. You know, my grandparents is like, if the kid doesn't do what they say, you know, just whack them upside the head and they'll listen. I mean, that was, that was it for parenting. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think over time, when we ask deeper questions of why, why are people the way they are, how much, you know, that nature nurture argument, science and research, all that. Yeah. I, I, I think we're becoming more aware and we have more access to information about how to be better parents. Um, to go back to something Shannon said about being raised in different households, part of that also is over time our parents um, change as people, um, and it affects the parenting. I was my father's second child, my mother's first, and then my brother's like nine years younger than I am. Nine years later than I, you know, it's like both my parents like lightened up a whole lot. Right. Like, and, and, you know, when I talked to my sister, my, my half sister, who's eight years older than I, she would also say, yeah, like dad was a lot easier on you than he was on me. So I think part of it is as we, as we grow older and we as individuals kind of change, maybe soften, mellow out a little bit, it affects how we are as parents and, you know, where we are, you know, and, you know, first child versus middle child versus the youngest child, how we, we treat them differently. And let's be clear, we also, if we have multiple kids, we also have our favorite kids. We're never going to admit to them who they are, but, but we all know, we all know who our favorite kids are. So not to pull too much on This Is Us, but we've, we've been watching This Is Us in our household. And there's a moment and I, I how far trying, in are you? How far I, in are you? I'm caught up. Okay. Wow, you guys like. Oh, we we are master TV watchers, by the way. <laughs> well done. Are you are you caught up, Brian? Are you still? Uh, I think so. Unless there was an episode. No, what okay. is it? So this Tuesday? this oh, is up. part of season two, but there's just a moment where Rebecca, the mom, admits, right? Like he wasn't my favorite. He was just easier. Yes. Yeah. And Talking about is, Randall. Ta- yeah, that is real. Like that yes. is very so. You know, when you say like, oh, there's a kid that's our favorite, like maybe, but I think for me, it's just like there, I have a child that is just easier for me because it's like probably for, for me at least. So it's, it's my son, Gus, my son infuriates me sometimes, but he's just easier. He knows how to make me laugh. He knows how to make me happy. And it's probably because he's um, less like me and more like the people that I love, right? That are easy for me to be around. Whereas my daughter who is more like me is harder for me because she's (laughs) so much like me and she knows how to push all the buttons and all the like, I know that in my house, right? My sister was the favorite. So talking about from the point of the child, my sister was the favorite child and there was no doubt about that. And nobody in our family will actually even say otherwise. They would not deny that whatsoever. And what I've come to understand as adulthood is she was easy for them. And I was not. Like, I was not an easy child. And I, was, I am not an easy adult. <laughs> like, I get that. <laughs> I totally get that. Like, trust Woo. me, I have to live with me. If I could 
escape from me, I would. <laughs> like, I, I, you know? I didn't want to say it. I'm glad. I mean, it's that. just true. <laughs> and I'm also, I mean, there's also a lot of fun that comes with that. And there's a lot of joy that comes with that. And, but I am a complex person. And if, if when you're raising children, if you have a choice between someone who's easy to love and easy to laugh and, and just easy to please, like, yeah, it's a lot easier to parent that kid. Mm. This is why this is this is why I only have one kid because <laughs> it was it was apparent from early on she was really easy and fun and we were like okay we're not risking it wow. not. <laughs> we hit See, the jackpot exactly. cuz like my first was a was an easy baby and she's becoming harder and harder you know as she gets older on me like right. it's easier for so you know Derek for instance her stepfather because she's so much like me, it's much easier for him to love her. Right. Whereas like I, like Gus just melts my heart and he gets infuriated because he's, you know, shiny objects are everywhere for that child. But, and, and, but that's also, you know, uh, uh, not to be stereotypical, but that's also a stereotypical gender thing. You it know, is. Where, you know, girls tend to be easier up front and then, you know, adolescence kicks in and with moms, especially a lot of head button, whereas boys, it's like you're doing your darnest just to keep them alive and not break a limb every other week when they're younger, right. uh, you know, and you're pulling your hair out over them. And then as they get older, they, you know, they like simplify in, in so many ways. So there's there, I mean, yes, I am overgeneralizing and stereotyping, but that tends to be, that tends to be what um, happens as well. And yeah. Yeah. I helped my oldest uh, shave for the first time, my oldest boy, uh, a few weeks oh. ago. So that felt like a rite of passage. And yes. one of those fun things that, you know, it's like, oh, I know how to do that. I can show you and, you know, just the yeah, mustache, then, you know. And then later on, like your dad, you could just ignore it and grow a beard. Just let it grow. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We had a so, rite of passage today, too. Sorry. Oh. We had a broken wrist first cast went oh, on this morning. Wow. Yeah. Maggie uh she fell and has a very oh. common fracture like break in her wrist and um anyway, so just another rite of passage. Yeah, hugs and love. Yeah. Man, that's rough. But I think just before we move off this topic, I think the best thing we can do as parents or the best thing that can be done for us, right? Now you know, we made jokes about like raising ourselves, getting into therapy as young adults and raising, like yeah. finishing the work of our parents for ourselves, which right. is good work. Like you should do that. And everybody probably has to do that for themselves because yep. your parents can't be all things for you and they, they shouldn't be. Um, but I do think the best thing we can do as adults, and I, I shouldn't say parents as in like anybody who has influence over a child, teachers, Sunday school people, people in church, right? The best thing we can do is help, no matter what nature has provided for our children, the nurture part that we can contribute to one another is giving the best coping mechanisms of, you know, ever. And from, from early stages, you know, I've taught my children how to deal with stress and anxiety in ways that I wish that I, you know, let's calm down, let's take a deep breath, like giving them coping mechanisms so that whatever their personality is, they can deal with it slowly and, and at their pace. Some of them, that's faster than others. So I do think they're, it's like, oh, that's nature. We have to write that off. But there really are nurture, nurturing things we can do to help each other. Yeah. So I was just going to ask, what do you two see as the goal of parenting? And maybe you sort well, of you just go. answered that. Yeah. <laughs> Survive the children. 
<laughs> that's that's the goal. Survive. Well, have uh, them well, survive you, and you survive them. Yeah, I don't, I don't care survival. about them surviving me. That's I don't care about that. I gotta survive. No, in all in all seriousness, <laughs> I think in all seriousness, I think the goal of parenting is to raise kids who are even better human beings than you are, like mm. more empowered, more empathetic, more self-aware. Like, you know, the, uh, along those whole lines of leave a place better than you found it. Yeah, that's that's what I believe um, should be the goal of parents. But that starts with improving yourself uh, towards what Shannon was saying, um, becoming more self-aware about yourself, doing your inner work, and then showing your kids um, how to do that as well. Yeah, you know, Ryan, not to, I mean... <laughs> I, I forget what catechism is it's in, but somewhere in our confessions is what is the chief end of mankind or humankind? Yeah, the Westminster you know, confession. The West, yes, it's the Westminster, and it's to glorify God and to love God forever. And like, as soon as you, like, what is the chief end of, of parenting, right? Right. Is, is I, I think in a lot of ways, it's that at the end of the day, my children are compassionate, loving human beings contributing to the goodness of the world, right? That is what, that is how we are struggling to raise our children. Um, but that they, their life like gives, gives to the world. And, and I think hopefully like that I, I, I I've, I've seen, I think this turns into a meme eventually. Right. And it kind of makes me gag when people post it, but I do think it's very true that like one of the, one of my greatest hopes is that when my children are adults, I will very much enjoy them as adults, right? Like mm. that they will become yeah. just really great people that I would want to hang out with. Yeah, no doubt. That they probably won't want to hang out with me, but that I would want to, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, li I like that. I like that. I think I would say, um, want the goal for me would be wanting them to know that they're valued, that they have value and that they're loved and as long as I or their mother is around, they have a place where they are embraced without question. And, you know, whatever welcome, else happens. And, and welcome, but after a certain age, you got to start paying rent. <laughs> Putting that out there. Exactly. <laughs> you always have a home. It just may not be, you know, where you sleep at night. <laughs> I don't know. We need to figure out. Yeah, there needs to be some limits. No, that's, that's, you, that's you always true. you always have a home, but the amount of rent you pay is directly proportional <laughs> to how old you are. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, it's it's eighteen minus your age divided by two. <laughs> just square saying. square root. There's yeah, I'll, I'll admit that is even so my oldest is 10 or, or, you know, and all of this. And I admit that that is still that weighs heavy on me of like. You know, because we, we talk about like, well, 15 years in the future, all the kids are done and all the kids are, you know, our youngest is five. And it's like, ah, I don't think that's going to be true. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, how do you I'm, balance all of that? But I'm you counting know, on it, but whole nother discussion. <laughs> for sure. So we've talked about nature versus nurture. And in the little time we have left, we won't do this justice, but maybe tease it out for another time. Do you think... Um, sin is something we inherit that's inher inherent to us? Is it something we inherit uh, sort of, I don't know, by osmosis it's, or a spiritual inheritance? Uh, 
And do we, yeah. So are little children born sinful? I guess the question I'm asking, is it just, you can't help that? Or is it, is it stuff that we learn to be sinful? Like, how do you, what do you think about all that? So, uh, short answer, no, we don't inherit. Um, because when you look at it, sin, sin is something you do. It's an action you take. It's, uh, a, a you know, a choice you make in your life. Um, um, even, even in a unity new thought perspective, sin is defined as, um, when you, uh, hold on to a belief that tells you you're anything less than divine. Either way, there's an active choice. So if I'm choosing to do something, I can't, I can't inherit my actions from my parents. Um, I can, you know, I can maybe learn from them how to make decisions and then unlearn that learning (laughs) and then in a panic moment default to that way and then overthink it again. But either way, ultimately I'm the one making the choice to do um, the kind action or the unkind action or do the compassionate thing or the uncompassionate thing. I'm the one making that choice. Sin is an action. So I don't know how you can inherit an action. It's an action, but would, but it's also true to some extent that our inner disposition leads to outward results. Well, so basically then in, in Christian theology, the attempt has been made to make sin a condition as opposed to an action. So you're born into this condition. Right. Um, but here, uh, the other reason I say no to this is because if you look, I mean, I'm assuming we're talking here in the Christian context as varied and as far flung as it can be. Right. But if, the Christ, if we say the tenets of Christianity are the teachings of Jesus, when you read about what Jesus said about original sin, you're going to come up short. He didn't say much of anything at all about it. Uh, it's not something he well it's definitely more of a christian concept than a jewish concept pauline pauline like paul pulls it in so therefore it's a pollyannity it's a pollyannity concept not a christian concept and i would say augustine really helped develop it through reading paul it's could be argued paul's the one that says you know adam's sin and you know christ fair enough you undo adam's sin blah 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 right like yeah in in adam all paul draws that line yeah. So, you know, yeah. so right. this is, you know, to go along with Brian's seeking to blame, this is Paul's fault. Mm-hmm. And which a lot of things are. <laughs> a lot of things are. Paul. And, you Why'd know, you drop Paul, that plate, Paul? <laughs> Paul, Paul? Paul never met or had a personal experience with Jesus. You know, he had a mystical experience. He had a mystical experience. It was a personal mystical experience. But again, he wasn't one of the 12. He wasn't the one who firsthand heard of Jesus's teachings and witnessed Jesus's compassion. So I, things that Paul say, I kind of take with a nice big old fat sack of grain of salt because this is Paul's, this is, so Paul's teachings are Paul's interpretations of the teachings of Jesus, which of a teacher he, heard, he never met. Right. So he heard the stuff through other people. So it's his interpretation of their interpretation of what Jesus might have said. And what Jesus might have said was his interpretation of, you know, these Jewish teachings and tenets. So Paul is like four translations in. Wow. It's almost <laughs> like you're saying some parts of the Bible are less important than others. It just feels very heretical, Ogan. Have you met me? <laughs> So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rewind scripture and go all the way back. So there's, there's something, you know, there's two very specific creation stories, right? Like 
Genesis one and two, and then two and three, right? So there's the seven days and then there's Adam and Eve story. Right. And, oh. and, you know, from what I was taught in seminary, and there's actually at least one or two more, I forget how many exactly there are in our, in the Hebrew Bible, right? And in, in Judaism, there's many, many more. And cause it's a, at least what I was taught in seminary, it's the way that we are trying to explain how God works and how, our understanding, right? So the, it's one is kind of the, this is how we think the world was created. And the other is, this is how we think the tribe of Israel was created. You know, that kind of. Yeah. What I, what I have always found, and I heard somebody say this, um, I can't remember who it was and, and it just stuck with me. And it was a, um, do you begin the story of humanity in Genesis one which is the story of creation um, and starting with the light and dark in the world and the formless void? Or do you begin the story of um, humanity in Genesis three, which is the story of sin, right? So where we, and, and it was funny because I went to this conference, I heard that statement. I really, really wish I could remember who said it. And then I went home and I had just bought this new devotional and I opened it up and the first reading is Genesis three. And I was like, Oh damn it. Wow. <laughs> right. Like, you know, um, but one and I, you know, you're preaching, like I've preached a sermon on this and I love this sermon, which is, is that, you know, Genesis one is creation. It was good creation. It was good creation. It was good. Right. Like creating all these things. Yeah. It was humanity. Good. It was very and good. Humanity was very good. And on the seventh God rests the end of that. But at the end of that, a man was alone and that was not good. And that's first time, actually Genesis, like end of Genesis 1, end of Genesis 2, that it said like that something is declared not good. And so the, the individuality, the loneness is what creates sin if you will so, right so it, basically not so basically what we're saying is yeah. because of um of a man's inability to be by himself and take care of his issues it all went downhill and um, and you're not wrong honestly when you look at a lot of the problems we have today it still holds true i mean I just, we men, do, I, we men do not like to be by ourselves. Let's just, you don't. And I don't like to be myself. I mean, I don't, I, I, um, I was just telling the story recently. Like I am, um, I feel more natural partnered together. Yes. You know? But, but, but it's true today. And we, we see this mostly from personal experience. We see this mostly when a person has lost their spouse. You know, right. when when a man loses a spouse, he is like remarrying like very quickly. We talking about like, you know, two to five years later when a woman and I'm, I'm generalizing um, when a woman loses her spouse is much later. Us men are we are not good at being alone, not nearly as good as being alone, I believe, as as women are. We are the, I'll say it now, we are the weaker gender. <laughs> I, I, I don't say it for that reason. I say it for the reasons, I think that's another episode. <laughs> I think that, I, I say that just to focus on and to emphasize, for me at least, in my, where my theology is very, very rooted. I think this is all throughout scripture. I think 
all of scripture really does back me up on this, that we are meant to be um, formed in community. I think family units are a great example of that, right? Yeah. The fact that you need two people to create life, like God can create life and, and God is even they in first Genesis, right? right. God is multiple. Right. Well, um, all, all life needs two to create. I mean, all, I mean, all, right. All life needs two, right? Like we right. are, we are communal beings in all sense of the word. And it is only when we are left to our own end that that's when, you know, that's when it's not good, which I, I do see. I mean, you can take that to say like, that's the first mention of sin. If something is not good, when everything else was so good and humanity was very good, you know, then it's not good that the man is alone. That's the first. We can't, we can't trust men by themselves. <laughs> which is God's misstep, not ours, which is also an interesting. Well, that, that gets into the, yeah, the whole theodicy dilemma and who's responsible for the sin in the world. Uh, but I do agree with you, Shannon, that I, I like starting at the starting point and seeing humanity first and foremost as very good, as bearing the image of God, or as Ogan would say, uh, having the divine within us, because it's so much more positive. And I think we need that. You know, I was kind of drummed in this hardline Calvinist upbringing of, you are totally depraved, you are sinful from birth. And you know, after a while, you keep being told that and you don't think so highly of yourself, you know, right. and I think it's hard enough to think well of yourself today. And I think, man, let's let's raise our kids to say you are loved and beloved. And yeah, you maybe have some things you can work on. Welcome to the club, but let's right. not focus on that or make that the, the whole point. So find a unity church near you. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's, but that's, that's, that's the balance of the parenting, right? Like we're, we're like, I didn't, I don't parent my children perfectly, not in any way, shape or form. I'm doing my best, but that means that my children aren't going to be perfect children either. And, and they're going to have yeah. to figure out how to do their best too. And, and we're all just in that boat. But if we, if we share, if we, you know, we were just talking about like, there's all these blogs on parenting. There's all this, you know, one of the things I tell new parents because every time you have a new parent, somebody's like, give them advice. And I'm like, my advice is one, <laughs> listen with a half ear, right? Like you, you are their mother, you are their father, you are their parent. Do what you think is right. Trust your instincts on this. Um, and two, what, the only thing I've learned is there is no right way. Like, I mean, there are very few things that boil down to right and wrong. So, mm. you know, that's, you you make a decision, you weigh the options, you go with it and you stick with it and you, and you, you pray for the best. And I, yeah. in a lot of ways, I think that's what God did. <laughs> hey, I mean, hey, there you go. See what happens. So um, I do want to take this moment to, uh, to, to plug. Um, uh, hang on, I'm looking. I'm looking for. It. All right, there we go. Um, so a f many years ago, uh, my my late wife and I, uh, Jennifer, we actually did a podcast on spiritual parenting. It's called uh, Unity Family Matters, and if you go to Unity Online Radio, Google Unity Online Radio dot org, hit up the archives. We did a lot of episodes with a lot of guests as well who were you know authors and authorities in conscious parenting and spiritual parenting and stuff like that um 
Um, we interviewed a lot of people, and it, it was really a profound. I I, I use I I, I kind of joke that we really did it for literally for ourselves. Right. Our right. We're like we need all the help we can get. Let's yeah. do a podcast. Um, it's nice. really why we do anything. Let's be honest. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was actually the first, I believe it was the first podcast that I did way, way back when, but, um, but, but, but the whole idea and, and one of my favorite authors at the time, I think her name was Naomi Aldor. She wrote a book called Raising Our Children, Raising Ourselves. And the whole premise was through parenting. This is how we truly heal ourselves, uncover the, the, the issues that we have that we need to fix and work on. Why? Because our children are going to reflect them. And this includes the spiritual slash religious questions and, and, and ideas. You know, our own personal theology as parents is going to be called into question because our children are either going to explicitly or implicitly question it. And we've got to come up with some answers for them. And we could either be unhealthy parents and say, do it because I say, or we can be healthy parents and say, huh, let me figure that out for myself. And a lot of times it is our kids, it's the kids who end up um, inspiring their parents to return to a spiritual tradition, to return to a religious tradition that they've left or, or vacated or, or ask these deeper questions that, that sends them into a church or into a spiritual tradition because they realize, you know what, um, our spirituality is an integral part of who we are along with our you know physical health or emotional health or mental health or spiritual health is an integral component to creating a wholesome being and if we yeah. want our kids to have that we we got to address that ourselves and this original sin question like i was very grateful that i found unity before i became a parent because 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 the core of unity's teaching is the original blessing concept we're not born in sin. We are born um, in the image and likeness of God, and therefore it is it is sinless. It is divine. Now, we're still human, and we're going to still have human feelings, interactions, responses, but the core of us is worthiness, not unworthiness. Yeah. And that's a profound shift, as Brian was alluding to, to hear from birth, right. you know, rather than hear you are unworthy. Like it, it makes a tremendous difference. And when you, when you, in, it, it, when I started to encounter people in, in unity, we call them unicorns, like kids who were raised in unity. Usually people mm -hmm. unity later in life, you know, it's had a spiritual crisis or something and, or, or, you know, they have their own kids and they're like, we want a spiritual foundation, but we don't want that lesson of unworthiness. Where can we go and they end up in, you know, different places. But um, but when you interact with people who were born into unity and raised with that message of you are worthy, even, I mean, spiritually, it's, it's a profound difference in the baggage we carry in the way we interact with other people and with life. I mean, it, it, it's huge and profound. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't have that spiritual, you know, tradition or background, raise your kids telling them they are worthy they are yeah. loved yeah. and that there's n there is absolutely nothing inherently sinful or wrong about them that makes a profound difference and again i i do think that's the message of genesis one right i agree you are, you are yes. created good and i i wrote a when my son was i don't know like around 18 months old i wrote a blog called you know the first sin my i, I watched my son's first sin which is he learned the word mine 
right? Mine. That's mine. And like, that's his first sin, right? Like that, that's, that's mine, not yours. We are now separated. We are no longer together. Mm. And that I do think that a lot of people are missing that from church, missing that from the message of Christianity. Like, yes, we are messed up and we fail and we do all of that, but we are inerrantly good. And God is inerrantly love and that love exists in us. And that's who we are at the core. And we're missing that. And we forget to tell each other that. I mean, like we need to do that to our children. We need to do that for each other. Absolutely. My favorite, uh, my favorite Jesus story, or at least in my top three, is when the disciples asked Jesus, who was who sinned that this man is born blind in John? Yes. And he said, you know, is it him or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. Like, you know, yeah. that's, you're asking the wrong question here, and no one's at fault. I know that's hard for you to hear, Brian, but no one was to blame <laughs> about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's about... the mystery of life. Exactly. <laughs> But what is the real answer? The real answer is how are we how are we going to see God here? How are we going to be God in action here? Uh, that's that's the question we need to ask. Yep. Yeah, and I just in closing want to hit on a couple things that uh, I heard you guys say, and that was just the importance of when parenting to have community uh, because families are systems and the more you try to go it alone and the more you kind of create sort of this closed system i think the easier it is for unhealth and bad things and the more you are open and engaging with others and learning from them and hanging out with other families with other kids it's just everything gets a little more air and a little more life and a little more goodness and we all need that is unhealth a word i know unhealthy is but unhealth does that stand alone yeah you caught that Good. Yeah, I did. <laughs> you have to look that up. <laughs> it sounded really good, but I was like, wait, did he just I that? use it all the time if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> that does help, actually. Just it is know. a lack of health. There you go. See? Yeah. It is a word. All right. Unhealth. Thank you, Google. Learn, you learn something Google. new every day. Thank you, Google, and thank you, friends, for tuning in to Pub Theology Live. You can connect and spread the word on social media. Please uh, share a favorite episode on the Twitters or on your Facebook uh, wall. And of course, you can listen to us anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or iTunes. We'd love you to rate us there as well, by the way. And if you'd like to find a conversation like this with some parents, some non-parents, some young singles, some old retired folks, but people from different walks of life with different perspectives where you can come together and talk. Uh, Check out the website at pubtheology.com and check out the directory there. And if you don't see a group in your neighborhood, maybe you'll start your own. And thank you again to our sponsors, uh, Wink Wine Club. That's Wink with a C, who you'll find at trywink.com slash Live, And the New Thought Channel, who you'll find at newthoughtchannel.com. So until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. Watch us on YouTube. So we don't pray before meals. Oh, neither do we. That's not We don't pray before bedtime. <gasps> Ditto. Like, I feel like I'm doing really good in the, like, coping with the world and anxiety right. department. 
I don't feel like I'm doing so good with like, here's how to turn to God and here's how to walk in faith. But you well, know, our, our family will pray for right. yours around the dinner table. Too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all. Which I mean, I know that like, again, it's like, they're like, oh, how dare you not do that? But like, but you know what I think that is? I think that is, is because, and this is weird to say, but I think that's because, you know, spirituality slash religion is our job. Right. And then, mm. so when we get home, we want to be off the clock. Good point. You know, and, yeah. and where does, where does, where does spirituality and religion as a job versus our own personal practice begin and end? 